Hi, I'm Allison Hare, a former corporate executive on a quest to live, work, and play in full alignment. Welcome to the Late Learner Podcast, where we explore game-changing and proven approaches that just plain work better for you. So what are we late learning today? Well, think about all the conversations you avoid because you aren't sure how to address it without losing your shit. What if you had the exact words and the exact approach you needed to confidently take those conversations on? Not only to deepen your most important relationships, but also to set clear boundaries and take control where you can. Soured friendship? Let's talk about it. Someone you love is in an abusive relationship. We're going to give you the exact steps to handle it and also to help you get into the right mindset. You're talking to aging parents about finances, wills, changes. Ooh, we got you. Your marriage is not going well. Let's help you face it head on with grace and strength. And I brought the big guns today. My guest today is Renee Bauer. Renee is an award-winning divorce attorney, published author, founder of a family law firm. She's a speaker and a host of the She Who Wins podcast and brand. This woman knows how to handle tough conversations, and she is helping us get empowered. Now, before we get to our chat with Renee, it's time for the good stuff. What is stuff? It's the surprisingly true useful fun fact. A former teacher claims that she cured her burnout, insomnia, and depression by, get this, listening to bells and meditating. Tia Harris out of London now works as a sound healer, helping others with their ailments, and she contends that the sound of wind chimes can actually lower your blood pressure. And you know, I am all about a healthier, stable state. And I'm going to bring this to you right now because we're all going to find a little more calm. Stay tuned until the very end of this episode for the second installment of The Good Stuff, where we have an interesting study on snacking and road trips to close out the show. Here's my chat about tough conversations with Renee Bauer. Okay, we are here with Renee Bauer. I'm so glad to welcome you to the Late Learner Podcast. Welcome, Renee. Thank you for having me, Allison. We're talking today about tough conversations. And when we think about tough conversations, some people may hear this and think, Oh my God, like you just want to run, right? Like nobody likes confrontation, right? Do some people like confrontation? You're a lawyer. I hate confrontation. And that's why I love this conversation because I (laughs) despise it. (laughs) I wonder growing up for you, how did you guys problem solve in your house growing up? Ooh, so you went right there. Um, this is this is a great conversation, actually, because my husband and I were just talking about this in like childhood and, and the stuff you take from your childhood into your adulthood. And I think that I avoid conflict in, because of my childhood experience. 
and the conflict mm. that I saw in my house and my parents are, are together still. They handled conflict in a way that made me want to avoid it at all costs in my, especially in my personal life. Mm. And that's how I actually ended up divorced the first time was because I didn't want the conflict. I didn't want to have to have the hard conversations and it was a lot easier to p- keep the peace and not talk about it or not ruffle feathers. Or if there was an opinion that I felt really strongly about not push back when, when my, my ex at the time um, had a different opinion and not, and it was just easier just to kind of go along in order to get along. And I realized that that absolutely did not serve me well in any relationship that I showed up to. And that if I was going to figure out uh, of any marriage, whether it was my first or second or third one, I needed to figure out how to have tough conversations and get ahead of that. So I didn't end up exactly where I started in avoiding it and then growing resentful and um, not then actually being heard. And that was when I was like, Mm. all right, something has to change. And you know what? It has nothing to do with anyone else. It doesn't have anything to do with an ex. It has has everything to do with me. And it was my willingness to show up and look someone in the face and say, okay, we have to, we have to talk. And whether it's in my business, in my, you know, for with employees, because that's hard too, or relationship or friendships or family, parents, whatever it is. It was really the, the change maker in everything else in my life. Yes. So here's where I want to pause for a second. When you said it wasn't about my ex, it wasn't about the other person, it was about me. And so I think intrinsically, we all know that when we're trying to avoid confrontation, it's something about that keeping the peace. You live in this world. I mean, you're in family law, for God's sake. What would you say is the unlearning that we've had to do, especially as females? I'm saying this as... as my audience is predominantly females, but as females, like culturally, what have we learned growing up and what do we need to unlearn? Yeah. You know, I think it's one, you keep the peace and you try to make sure everyone else is comfortable. And usually when you're making everyone else comfortable, it's at the, your, the cost of your own heart and soul. And it's recognizing that having an opinion or having a disagreement doesn't mean that a relationship is going to fall apart or that that's the undoing um, or that it's destined for, you know, the, for divorce. Having those tough conversations can actually help those relationships. And what I've actually learned in my current marriage, because my husband has been wonderful about like pushing the vulnerability piece um, with it because I was so closed off for, for a while. And it was like having those hard conversations actually brings you closer together and, you know, really getting comfortable and saying like, at the end of it, we don't have to agree on everything, but maybe we can understand each other a little bit better by kind of peeling back the layers of the why, why do you someone feel this way? Because it, usually it's not a right or wrong. It's just someone feels this way. So what's, what's happening beneath the surface of that. And so when my husband and I, my current husband and I started to do that, actually it brought us closer together. And at the end of it, we could be like, all right, we disagree on this, but now I understand where you're coming from. 
and having those conversations rather than just bury them and be like, I'm not going to talk about it, or I'm just going to be angry, mm. or I'm just going to be resentful. Um, it, you know, it changed, it changed the relationship, it changed the future of this the relationship and the health of this relationship where I know, I'm like, all right, this was, you know, those past two were such learning opportunities. I know this one's solid, because I know there isn't anything we can't talk through. So I think the other assumption about that is that you are equal partners. So when I'm thinking about a spouse, is there a power dynamic that comes to the, into play or even an employment? You know, if you have a boss where you're like, this is so not right, but I'm afraid I'm going to get fired. There is a power dynamic there. How do you address that? Yeah, it's because not every relationship is meant to be a forever one. And that's where it's like, you know, I can look at and I see clients who come in and their relationship has truly come to completion and they, it's time to release it. So sometimes you have those relationships that it has come to full completion and you're never going to be able to come together and have aligned conversations or values or goals and dreams. And that's okay to let it go. And the same thing goes for a a boss. Sometimes you're going to have it. I mean, most people are going to run up to uh, up against something in work where they have someone that they have to communicate with. They Maybe they don't like them and you still have to have mm-hmm. those conversations and you have to, and you don't have to be best friends, but in order to have that dynamic actually work and, and feel mutually respectful in her, then you have, sometimes you have to have them. And, and if you can't, and if you have a boss who's a tyrant, then, you know, you evaluate where you are, you evaluate, okay, can I be in this job forever and be happy? And what does the next thing look like? Maybe I can find a place in, in a work environment where my, my opinions do matter and they are valued and I can have these hard conversations and not fear getting fired. So, you know, not every relationship that you have has to be saved. Mm. I think in many cases we might have, we as in whoever the person is that is in some kind of uncomfortable situation, I think there may be a scarcity mentality that's kind of embedded in all of this of, If I rock this boat, it's kind of like if you are in a marriage, things are fine. I'm in in this marriage. It's fine. The moment you say, I'm not happy, is the moment, especially out loud, is the moment you have to do something. And there's a lot. There's a lot of disruption that comes with that. And I think part of what I'm hearing you say, Renee, is How do you get yourself grounded in a place of your own sovereignty, that you are worthy of more? How do you help people heal from the inside? Ah, such a great question. I think there's lots of little steps that you can do, and it's lots of little things. One, bringing it back to something so basic is taking care of yourself. And taking that time for yourself, whatever it is that that brings you joy. Like I have so many friends who will say, I don't have time to work out or I don't have time to go away on the girls weekend. I don't have time. And it's, and it's again, why don't they have time is because they're intentionally not making that time for themselves. And so by just putting yourself first every once in a while, carving out that time, scheduling it in, it says to yourself, you matter and your opinion matters. And then it gets a little bit easier for the next thing. It's it's once you start recognizing, okay, I am worthy of, of 
the time to put into my body to move. I'm worthy of that one hour three times a week. And then I'm worthy of what's the next thing in that. Um, And then that turns into I'm worthy of having the opinion that matters or the opinion that actually really should be heard. So you're, I'm worthy. And then that turns into, I'm worthy of the job that fulfills me or I'm worthy of financial success. And so I can leave that job so I can, I can go and provide for my family in a different way that lights me up. And then that turns, I'm worthy of standing on stage and speaking. I'm worthy of the book deal. You know, it's all of those small actions that you put into practice. I don't think you just flip the switch and say, okay, because I, I think Allison, it's, it's also to be quite frank with you. You go up and down this past weekend, for example, I went out, I had a lot, um, dined a lot. I had a couple drinks, which I usually don't do. I woke up this morning and I'm like, ugh, you know, I'm like, I'm not (laughs) feeling great. And so I was like, all right, what can I do with that information? I can just drink a lot of water today, get my workout scheduled, or I can kind of live in this ugh place. And it was like every day you have to make that choice. And so part of me was like, well, what's another day? But I'm like, no, 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 I'm worthy of feeling good. You know, I'm worthy of that Mm. time for that hour today that's going to make me feel better. Like, I know (laughs) it. I know by five o'clock when that workout's done, I'm going to feel phenomenal. And how I feel when I woke up this morning, that feeling's going to be gone. And now I can move forward with the week. Renee, that is so powerful. Did you guys hear that? Oh my goodness. I am worthy of feeling better. And what I'm hearing in that is habit stacking, right? And so I've heard you talk about Biff, and I think that'd be a great place to set a baseline of how do you have these difficult conversations? Can you explain what Biff is? Yes. And is this yours? So it's or not, is this a framework? It's that- not mine. Okay. Bill Eddy is the author. He works in the family law space, and he's written multiple books on dealing with conflict. And he came up with this framework on how to deal with conflict when you're having a hard conversation with anyone. I mean, this works beautifully when you particularly if you have an, an ex that is really combative, but you're going to keep whenever you have to have communication with someone who you can anticipate is going to push back. There's a, a framework that you can follow and it's his and he calls it Biff and it's keeping things brief. You're going to keep it really like really short and to the point. You don't need to go off and talk about what happened five years ago. You're going to keep it informative, Mm. which is going to be, all right, let's keep, let's just keep it kind of fact-based and not opinion-based. You're going to keep it friendly. And this one is like, listen, you're not going to text someone. It's so hard, (laughs) right? But like, you're not going to text your boss, boss, the emoji of your middle finger. Like you're not like, you're going to keep it friendly and upbeat because if you do that, they have to respond in kind. It's going to be really hard for them to kind of keep that anger train going when you're like, you're kind of annoyingly upbeat, but also firm. Um, and that's an important one too, because it's it's firm in whatever it is you're trying to say, whatever it is you believe in. If you follow that, it makes any conflict with anyone much easier to navigate. Because what happens is usually we get triggered and we pr- we respond in an mm-hmm. emotional way. And then it turns into, well, you did this three years ago and it turns into name calling. And then at the end of the day, you're all triggered, you're all angry and nothing actually got solved. And you, if you mm. model that behavior, because the other person may not be quite where you are, um, but if you model that, you almost train them to start to respond the same way. Because if you do it enough times, they're going to realize, all right, all my name calling isn't getting me anywhere. 
So let me pull back and let me try a different approach. You can actually change their behavior. Again, as I'm thinking about name calling feels good. It feels cathartic going out, but like it doesn't change the situation. So Biff is brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Yes. What a great way to set the stage for the rest of this conversation. So Renee, you know this, that I had crowdsourced some questions about what are some tough conversations you might be afraid to have? And my goodness, the responses were, I found myself like, I don't know how I would handle that. They're so difficult, but they come up. Like there are some that are, I wouldn't say minor, but like insidious, but not obvious. And those come with maybe soured friendships, Mm. obvious big ones, like with your parents and awful things happening that you have to do or, or family, but like there are less obvious ones that nobody talks about. Hi, it's Allison. Did you know that some of the ideas shared in this podcast, I can actually help you implement in your own life? If you are feeling like you might have outgrown your container and figuring out what could be next for you and would love to be supported by people who just get you, the Effective Collective Mastermind may be the exact right fit for you. This mastermind helps high-performing mothers to live, work, and play in full alignment through a simple yet results-driven method that combines intentional action with my favorite, a bit of magic. Doors are opening soon, and I'm offering a sneak peek into the mastermind by doing a free, bold challenge. It's only four days, four video prompts, it's free, and it is powerfully effective to go from over-functioning to audaciously aligned. Seriously, only four days and it works. Go to allisonhair.com forward slash bold and get a quick win for yourself. You'll be so glad you did. So I thought we could start with that one. So Hannah asked about a sour friendship. When you have a friendship that maybe you were close once and then it it no longer felt equal. How do you handle a soured friendship? I, you know, it, I guess it depends on the level of the friendship is because I've certainly have had yeah. friendships where they've sort of come through a season and we've grown apart and it just naturally fades without anyone actually having to address it. But if you have someone in your circle who is someone who you're constantly seeing them, you always make plans and some sort of communication is expected. I don't think you have to say, hey, listen, you're not my person anymore. I don't want to be friends. We're done. I don't think you have to do (laughs) that. I think that you can be a little bit more subtle and just say, oh, our our time, you know, our schedules aren't aligned right now, or we have different things on our plate. Like I personally, for a friendship, I think that you can sort of back off a little bit more subtle. And then the question is, do you really want to release this person forever from your life? Or are you just going to put them in a different, a different box? Like, are they going to be the every once in a while friend where you can get together and you don't actually have to be fully aligned and you can still value that friendship for its history and you, and you are different people. Or is it someone who has wronged you in such a way that you just want to close the door and be done? And there are those people too who are just really toxic and you want to be done. And in that case, I don't think you actually really owe them much of an explanation. You can back out mm. of that friendship and not have to say why and and let it just fade. At least the friendships in my life, I know that 
it's it takes effort anyway to maintain those friendships. So if anyone wanted to cut it off, it would be really easy because you just wouldn't be making the plans and, and planning the weekends and the dinners and, and all of that. I love that because I think about understanding, is this friendship worth salvaging? And also maybe recategorizing yeah. it feels better, but also a lot of it is alignment towards yourself that you may have outgrown the person and you might still be pursuing a friendship with that person and they're not in the same place. So some of it is like kind of exploring it back to what do you want? And if that person is no longer giving that, maybe it is just recategorizing it. This one is so tough. We've all had this in our life is my best friend from college is in an abusive relationship. <sighs> and I don't know how to have a conversation, but I can't watch this. I can't support it anymore. How do you handle this, Renee? I mean, this one, I think you have it straight up. If it was my friend and I was seeing that, I would take them out and sit down and ask really open-ended questions and not start jamming my advice. I'm not going to shit all over anyone, but I would ask open-ended questions about what's happening, if they're happy, what do they see for their future with them, and just just start. And if we're really good friends, those those aren't going to feel like awkward questions. And when the door opens just a little bit and they're sharing the bad that's happening there, I would insert my opinion in a really gentle way because anyone who's in an abusive relationship does not want to feel like they're being attacked. It's about being really supportive and it's about offering support in a way that just is genuine and not judgy because anyone who's in that relationship is going to pull themselves out when the timing is right for them. We cannot force that. But I would want Mm. that friend to know, like, listen, if things get so bad, I'm your exit strategy. Like they talk about having a safety plan in any domestic violence relationship and some somewhere where a person can go, I'd be saying, make me your safety plan. Put me on that. Like if you need to leave, you need to show up with your dog or your child, like my house is the place to go is an open invitation. I have space for you. And so that would be how I would approach it in a way that helps them feel really supported and knowing that they have a place to land on the other end. I'd say, you know, that one is, I think a lot of people feel like they're doing right by friends, but they get, they do it in a really judgy way. So I'd say be really Mm. mindful about removing the judgment from that conversation and be ultra supportive and getting them to talk as well and kind of share it and open up too. Because a lot of victims like keep things really closed up and off because they have shame around it. So talking about it is the first step to lifting that shame. This is so good. And I'm wondering what that might sound like in a supportive way other than, because this sounds like this person is like at the end of a rope. It's one of those things where my mom used to do this all the time that she would have friends that would call her and they'd say, my husband is this and that. And my mom's reaction to everything was dump him, dump him. You're better. Dump him. And they never would. And she would get so mad, like, they don't listen to me. They don't listen. (laughs) And I think my mom's is kind of an extreme case. But I imagine that is true when people, I'm here for you. I want to be supportive of you. And then nothing changes and they're coming back. Yeah. And they're like, I can't deal with this. So are there ways to protect yourself as well as be supportive and collaborative? It's, you know, we can't make anyone do anything. 
And anyone who has ever been in a bad relationship will know that there is a cycle that that person has to go through before they come out. I have a friend now who's actually in a a domestic violence relationship. They're not a good match. Like everything about this relationship is not a good fit. And we just chatted like yesterday. And actually the conversation I had with her yesterday was less gentle. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, it's time to go. Like we've had a conversation for a week now and you told me like all of the things, you know it, I know it, like it's time. You know, so sometimes those conversations like your mom has is the appropriate conversation to have too. But it's, you know, you have to judge. People are so different. Some people need to have the more of the gentle guidance. Some people need to have it like whacked over the head with it. But either way, <laughs> we have to remove our own attachment to it as a friend. We cannot get emotionally involved. And we see this all of the time in divorce that friends insert themselves and get involved and they get hyper involved to protect mm-hmm. your own energy. You cannot get involved like that. Like you can be the support and the sounding board and help and assist with the kids pick up and drop off and all of that. But again, like that emotional attachment is not yours. It's mm. not your emotional burden. You can, pro- you can provide support without having that heaviness around it. <sighs> that part is really hard. When you're close with somebody, you do take on their emotional support. So being able to have some kind of separation from it is ninja work. Yeah. <laughs> it really does require some real intentionality. So Emily had asked about boundary setting conversations. How do you set proper boundaries? And I imagine this is kind of when you grow out of your container. You've yeah. kind of outgrown things. You want to, maybe there are some resentments going on. You want to have a little more space and more autonomy for some of those things. How do you help guide us uh, for boundary setting conversations? Boundaries are like, I feel like it's such a buzzword right now. And it is, it's one that I still struggle with. Quite frankly, I had, I put into place for the summer that I'm going to take every Friday off. And I tried to do that last summer and it didn't happen at all. So I'm like, that's it. This, this summer I'm going to do that. <laughs> and then I got the one email that came through. It was like, listen, the only day I can meet is on Friday. And I was just about to type, okay, let's do it. I'm like, no, because what happens is that would open the the gate, right? So that turns into one call to five calls and there goes my Friday. And it was really, the intent was to take the time for me and fun and be outside and all the things. Yeah, I'm one who's like constantly blurring my own boundaries because this goes back to the old people pleasing ways. Because it's like, all right, mm. I can I can get that. I can make someone else happy. I can accommodate somebody else's, make it more convenient for them. And on the other flip side, my boundaries just got broken. And I let like a flood, flood of wave of mm-hmm. all of the stuff I didn't want. And boundaries is a hard one. I say, write them down write down the things like what are the what are the boundaries that you have set like for me if it was no no work on friday all summer long and i write that down and every time an email comes through i look at that and i remember why i'm like the reason why is for my own my own filling up my soul and filling up my cup mm-hmm. and then it becomes easier to say no so i like writing stuff down i like having post it notes um in places where i would might break those boundaries so i can see them mm-hmm. in my face and then, and just go back to the why, like, why did you put it in place mm. in the first, the boundary really has nothing to do with that other person. It has to do with something that you need and a need that's not being met. So tap back into that and be like, mm. why? And this goes back to Allison. Our very first part of this conversation is I'm worthy 
of having whatever it is I need that forced me to set up that boundary to begin with. And you go right back around and it becomes a lot easier to hold, to maintain those boundaries. This seems to be the North Star here. So Christina asks about talking, and this is like, Renee, you're the perfect person to ask about this, family law, talking with aging parents about finances, wills, those kind of things. Yes. That's- or even just the change about finances, wills, those those inevitable conversations, even death and like what happens after and not being able to drive. That, that came up a lot of my dad should not be behind a wheel anymore. I need to have these tough conversations. So I would say parents, how do you uh, talk to parents about tough conversations? So hard. Um, it's so hard because I think for our entire adult lives, they were supposed to know. They're the caretakers. They're supposed to guide us and they're supposed to know better. And now all of a sudden that role has switched. And usually, you know, I look at my husband's parents who have both passed, but when they were alive, the tough conversations that they had to have about having care come into the house and then having to sell the house. And then, you know, those were excruciating conversations, but this usually has to do with their own health and safety. And that's the the reminder of, again, why are you having this? You're not doing it to upset your parents or make them disgruntled. You're doing it for their health and safety. You don't want them behind the wheel because you don't want them killing themselves or somebody else. You're selling the house because they can't take care of themselves. And you walked in and you saw that the trash was overflowing and that they fell and they couldn't have, they didn't have anyone to help them get up. And it's like for taking care of them. And sometimes it's, it's like you have to steal yourself and just say, okay, this is going to suck. It's going to be hard. They're going to push back. You know that the expectation is that, but the reason behind it is grounded in in the right reason. And so just because it's hard, you don't avoid it. You have that conversation anyway, because it's going to be far better to do those things, set them up financially, have the estate planning conversations and the wills and, and all of that, because at the end of the day, it's, it's in your family's best interest. It's in their best interest to, to have them, even if they're not happy about it. So what's coming up for me with that is that yes, you're grounded in your own truth and and the truth around the benefits of it. I think where we get tripped up is the result. How is this going to be received? And so while you can be grounded and rooted and have all the best intentions, it may not land that way. It may get messy for a while. And so how do you wade through the mess in a way that feels like you you know you did the right thing and in the long run, it it is the right thing? I, you know, I go back to whether it's this conversation or a conversation with a spouse or converse, any tough conversation that you have, it's not your job to keep their response happy. It's not your job mm. to do that. And that's on them. And if they, and as hard as that is, if they can't see that or hear that, that becomes something that they have to work through and process on their own. We can't control how somebody else thinks. We can't control how they respond. And all you can do is act in integrity, do what you think is right and be upfront about it. Don't go behind their back. Cause I've seen that too. People like don't want to upset somebody. So they do it kind of on the sly. That's never going to work. Like just have it in, have those conversations in compassion. And if you follow that model, that Biff, right. Keeping it business-like and, and saying, Hey mom, here's the reason why. 
and I care about you. And if she's going to get really like angry and kind of bark back at you and she's going to go back and talk to her friends and then her friends are going to be like, yeah, my kid did that too. Well, at the end of the day, she still loves you and you still know you're doing it for, from the right place. And that's going to be up to her to process in in the way. There's nothing you can do to control how she's going to receive that information. It's beyond our, you know, for for anyone. And for that respect, we can't control how anyone receives information and for speaking our truth. And that's not a reason to withhold our voice. I think it's something that I personally struggle with is how will this land, especially being a communicator and wanting to make sure it's perfect. And so maybe that people pleasing Mm -hmm. and righteousness has to be kind of looked internally. And so I'll throw one more out and then I've got some other questions for you. This is Jessica. This one is so tough. Confronting someone about their mental illness or substance abuse. Uh. That's a hard one. I'm giving you all the easy ones, I know. (laughs) These are all the softballs. Because here's what's going to happen when you do that. They're going to deny it. They're not going to be willing to hear it at the point that you're willing to speak it. And they will reject it. And often they will turn that around and blame you for something and deflect. It will probably not land the way that you want it to. Anyone who's struggling with any sort of substance abuse, we see this with gambling and whether it's alcohol or any type of uh, abuse, they're only going to hear it when they're ready to and when they hit rock bottom with that. Otherwise, it's just noise. Depending on who that person is to you, you may have to set up some like safety measures. And if it's gambling, for example, it's all right to address this. We're going to change the bank accounts and I'm going to need you to do this with me. And we're going to have to go to counseling because here's the, here's the outcome if it doesn't. I mean, these are, this is serious stuff. This isn't like you can just sweep it under the rug and wait for them to get over your anger. Like you actually have to be proactive mm-hmm. about this. And here's, here are the things that are going to happen. You're going to get counseling. We're going to change the bank accounts if, if it's a gambling situation or you're not going to be driving. There's mechanisms if driving is an issue for someone who has substance abuse where they can kind of blow into a, a breathalyzer before they before their car actually starts. Like you can actually be proactive about that. And you're, this is where you have to be really firm because what happens is most people aren't firm. They let the other person's words just, you know, it's, it's they said they're going to take care of it and nothing happens. Or they let their anger come back to them and they're like, all right, he, they're so angry, so we're just going to not address it. But these are really important stuff and it could change your life, it could impact your own safety, um, your own financial future. So you have to be proactive about that. In some of these situations, if you're talking about a spouse, you're going to go see a lawyer probably and get some advice there and have some kind of plan B's safety measures in place to do that. But avoiding it, you've already avoided it for as long as you've gotten to this point. You've avoided all the red flags leading up to this point. Let's be honest, there were probably a ton of them and you can't avoid it Mm. anymore. You know, this is probably the only time where I would, I would should on somebody is because this is really serious stuff that could impact yourself, your safety, your kids, your future, your financial health, your credit score, like all of the things. So being proactive is so important here. Mm. I love what you're saying here, Renee, and you have been divorced twice. You've been public about having really awful marriages, or I don't know if they were awful marriages, but really tough divorces. And now you're in a marriage where it seems as if things are much, much better. 
What has been the biggest difference for you with this marriage that you learned from the last two? So tell me the difference. Tell me this bright spot. Yeah. So, well, my first one, we we met in college. So we met young. He's the father of my son. We have a beautiful co-parenting relationship. And in fact, I would do anything for him. That was not a terrible divorce. That was a sad divorce. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It wasn't terrible. There wasn't conflict. I take so much of the blame for that, but not having tough conversations because I let so much resentment build up because I wasn't addressing things. And quite frankly, we married so young. I look back at who we are as people. We were not a good fit for each other. He's remarried to the person who is his match. Like I can see how they meld together as am I. So the lesson in that one is when you avoid hard conversations, resentment builds. And once you have resentment, it's really hard to get back from that. And that was, Mm. you know, the big lesson for me. The second one was a really toxic marriage. It was really short. We were married from beginning till end about a year and three months. I knew early on that all of the red flags were like waving in my face and that I either could ignore or had to do make some quick action on. And I'm being honest, I jumped into a relationship where I was unhealed at that point. And it was something that I wasn't being true to who I was. I was compromising my own values. And I'm fortunate and so grateful that I got out really quickly from that one, because I think that one could have really turned into something really, really ugly, but it was, it was really short. So going into the third one, Jay will joke that one of our first dates, I sat down with my like laundry list. I didn't actually have it, but it was in my head (laughs) of all the things. And I was like, listen, here's the, this is the way it is. I have a child. I run a business. Like here are my values. And I asked him sort of questions that I really wanted him to be honest about because I wanted to see where we were aligned. And I'm like, I'm not going to play this game of not showing all of my cards of who I am. Like, we don't have to rush things. We don't have to talk about a future, but I want you to know who I am and I want you to know what I won't put up with. And he, he stuck <laughs> around. So, <laughs> but we never, going into that one, we never hid the hard conversations. We were always sort of tackling things as they came up and were really honest with each other and truthful. It was probably the only relationship in my entire existence that I've allowed myself to be so truly vulnerable. And that has made, you know, huge credit to him because it was a safe space to do that. And it was a really safe relationship to do that. So, you know, the lesson is for anyone is just to pay attention to the red flags because they're always there. Mm. Just really listen and trust your gut and trust your intuition. And you don't have to, even if you have the place booked and the flowers booked, if it doesn't feel right to you, um, you don't have to go forward with that. Your intuition is never going to serve you wrong when it comes to relationships. What a beautiful evolution that you have. And what I'd love to acknowledge you for is how much self-reflection and work you've done to be able to acknowledge that, I think it's so powerful. And I imagine through your law practice, you probably see things over and over and over again. What do you know that you wish other people could know? That a relationship that has come to completion is not the end of the world. Everything always ends up okay on the other side. And I had a client who I share her story because I just love it so much. And she did not want to get divorced. She was in a good enough marriage. They went on vacation to the Caribbean every year. She had a nice life, nice house, nice car. And she 
did not want this divorce. Well, and through every step of the way of the divorce, she really fought it. And to the very end, had her husband said, I'll stay married, she would have stayed. A year after her divorce, she reached out to me and said, I had no idea how unhappy I was until I got out of this relationship. And I'm truly so happy now. And I think that's the lesson is that there's so, like, if you're in a place where you're trying to contemplate what to do and whether to move forward, chances are you're really not happy. And there's their potential for happiness is so big and the money works itself out and you'll be fine. You'll figure out how to cut the lawn if you've never done it before and how to pay the bills if you never, all of that stuff will fall into place. Don't put your own happiness on hold just because of things like that, like things that um, will easily fall into place. And so that's the message is you're going back to that worthiness. You're worthy of being happy. You're worthy of a healthy, mm. loving relationship where you feel safe and it feels comfortable and it feels kind and you're not walking on eggshells. Like you're worthy worthy of all of that. What a story. You know, this podcast is called Late Learner. What have you recently learned that you were wrong about? Ah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Ah, that's a great question. You know what it is for me? Because this has been coming up a lot for me. You and I are both in this this digital space. And I've been here yeah. now in this journey for about three years. And I thought at the beginning, it was all about like numbers, right? Like accumulating the followers and the email lists and all of that stuff. And I watched other people do that. And I watched, you know, people measure whether someone should go on a podcast based on all of those numbers. And I have, I'm on this journey right now of recognizing that that is so unimportant and it's the quality of connections and that I personally would far rather have one beautiful conversation than stand in front of a room with 400 people and not have that connection. So the late Ooh. learning is what the digital world says is, is a measure of success is actually not at all what my personal measure of success is when it comes to connection with people. Just from my perspective of being in this sort of community with you is you really do have a powerful connection and an incredible reputation too. You're just a light to be around. So I'm so grateful that you were able to come and share your wisdom and your experience and your guidance with us. How can people find you? You've got a book coming out, I She do. Who Wins. I do. Oh, it's on pre-sale right now. I'll link it in the show notes, but tell me, how can people get in touch yes, with so, you? Yes, um, so Instagram is kind of my, I just got hacked on Facebook. So now Instagram is, Great. is truly my favorite place. <laughs> my handle's at Ms. Ms. MS, Renee Bauer. Well, you're doing great work. She Who Wins is your brand, and you've got an incredible community. Thank you so much for being here, Renee. Thank you. Big thanks to Renee Bauer for helping us confidently and expertly handle tough conversations with grace and strength. Renee is the host of the She Who Wins podcast and her upcoming book of the same name are available, and I've linked all of her info in the show notes. As for you... Have you been kicking around some ideas, some hopes and dreams that you weren't sure how to put into action? Well, I've got a few things brewing for you. For one, I'm opening the doors officially to the Effective Collective, the non-business mastermind for business moms in a few weeks. It only has a few spots left and I am purposely keeping the circle tight 
to maintain the high level of integrity of each person who is hand-selected to be there. If you're interested in learning more, go to allisonhair.com. But in the meantime, I wanted to give you a sneak peek into the Effective Collective and give you a quick win right away because we are all about being effective. Join the Bold Challenge. It's free. It's only four days, four easy prompts, and it's a powerful way for you to go from over-functioning to audaciously aligned. Make sure you join right away at allisonhair.com forward slash bold and get that win in. Okay, now it's time for the second installment of The Good Stuff, the surprisingly true, useful fun fact. And it's summer and tis the season for vacations and road trips. One poll did a study with Hai Chu and found that 71% of people agree that road trips are a hall pass for snacking. Hey, I don't know about you, but I thought that was a given. I eat like I've never seen food before in my life on road trips. And based on the study, the top snacks are chips at 47%, cookies at 44%, and candy at 42%. But do you want to know what my guilty little cheat is? It's so stupid. I don't generally eat fast food, but I will order a kid's meal at Chick-fil-A because it doesn't seem as bad. Portion control, I guess. And Starbucks protein egg and cheese boxes are also my poison. Now, what about you? What snacks do you pack on road trips? Well, thank you for being with us this week. If you would share this episode with someone who needs to hear it, it could make a whole world of difference just from you sending it to them. Thanks for listening to Late Learner Podcast, and I'll see you next time.